folks to the Workforce Show, and this is Cindy Gern, your host, and I am with Emad Rascala, who is the founder of a learning company called Blue Drop, which I'll have him describe to you briefly. But I have invited Emad to be with us today because Emad has this long, all a long history. I I stopped and hesitated for a moment in saying long history because he's a fairly young CEO in the field of education, and you know, we'll talk about his, his uh, journey to where he is now as a strong advocate of integrating technology and learning. Um, and we're, we have him here to discuss the, the changing landscape of learning in general, learning delivery, and in uh, learning as it impacts, influences the success of of entrepreneurs and small businesses because that is one of uh, his company, Blue Drops uh, product, uh, products that they've created. So welcome, Imad. Well, thank you. Great to be here, and thank you for reminding me that I'm not as old as I feel. <laughs> <laughs> well, given your schedule, you might have added a, a lot of years just in travel, but I don't think you can turn those in for as a frequent flyer uh, coupon. You, know, you have to kind of keep pushing. Uh, Ina comes to us from uh, our neighbor, North Canada, Newfoundland, and uh, we have, uh, as coincidentally, been doing programs on international trade, import, export, and uh, the obviously Canada is our closest partner, as is Mexico, but uh, we're so glad to have them as neighbors, even though sometimes not when we're playing hockey, but that's okay. That's a whole other issue. That's a whole other issue. Um, you know, I, you know, in researching education, and my graduate degree is in education, so I, I've always had a strong interest in it. But I'm not sure I, uh, I always understand or agree with uh, what we mean when we say education, and what we mean when we say we are seeing huge skills gaps uh, in today's uh, world, uh, particularly in the United States, and. So what do you when, you, when you hear people talk about education and training and skill gaps, what immediately comes to your mind? Well, I think, I think it, it, what comes to mind for me is the fact that education and, and learning in terms of the workplace um, has really shifted from being a sort of a destination uh, type of a focus, destination meaning you get a certain credential, you achieve something, and then you're good to go, to really a lifelong um, obsession, really, that people need to have. Otherwise, um, they will be quickly irrelevant in the workplace. And certainly, if you talk to anybody uh, who graduated, even with, you know, uh, in-demand, if I can use that word, in-demand degrees, such as engineering or business or uh, even computers, and just talk to anybody who has one of these in-demand degrees who's been out of work for whatever reason for four or five years, and they will quickly find that it'll be very difficult for them to reintegrate back in the workforce. So it's really not a, a destination anymore. It's a journey, and I think uh, those that that fact alone has profound impacts on how small businesses, large businesses, job seekers, people that are looking for work, how they um, uh, identify with the job market and how they attach themselves to the job market. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, that's that is perfect. Uh, you agree with me, uh, so that makes it even more perfect. But um, <laughs> yes, yeah. the yeah, the quest, the issue then I as I hear you and as I see it is that there is a difference between the broad our broad understanding of education as in classic education, preparing people for life, the arts, the humanities, uh, math and science to you know provide a uh, a platform, a foundation for the future. Uh, that's somewhat different than preparing people for a job or preparing people to acquire and apply certain skills that they need in order to stay current. I think that's one of the raging debates in, in the educational circles is what is education? Is it education for life or is it education for training? And is it both? But whatever it is, it seems that uh, by measurements uh, in the United States, we have uh, we're not learning as well and as quickly as uh, say Finland. Uh, I don't know about Canada. What is your what is your sense about learning and our accomplishments and our ability to achieve in this country versus other countries where you you know where you travel and where you observe and and you including your own country, Canada. Well, I think, I mean, the the U.S. certainly is uh, on the top end of the scale for when you're looking at, um, you know, the best of the best in terms of education or, or workplace learning or good corporate habits. I mean, that certainly uh, I- exists, and I think the U.S. is certainly um, ahead of the game. In terms of the middle or the, the, the average, I mean, there's all kinds of data. I mean, one of the interesting things is um, in the U.S. is sort of mid-range, according to OECD, in terms of, for example, the level of workforce that's underemployed or overemployed. If you look at the U.S. data, um, I think about 55% of the workforce is either underemployed or overemployed uh, for where they're working right now. And so that speaks to the, the issue of ongoing, continuous uh, learning as well. If you're underemployed, obviously, uh, you might be missing a couple of skills that help you get to the level that you you could be, and if you're overemployed, you might be missing a couple of skills that help you know your employer to realize that you could be doing more. Um, <laughs> so uh, it, it it or um, oh sorry uh, sorry I got that backwards. If you're underemployed, yeah. you, you certainly are missing skills. I was trying to figure that out. Okay, but that's yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you know I think that's a, the, yeah. yeah. So but but either either both of those are are, are training related uh, issues and workplace learning related issues. Um, so the U.S. certainly at the cream de la creme is there's no there's no argument I think internationally that that it's uh, it's doing uh, quite well. Uh, the average is sort of in the middle of the pack, and then um, you know I think that there are a lot of groups in in in, in the U.S. economy uh, that are left behind by uh, the d- digital learning wave that certainly large companies have embraced and and the, a lot of large multinationals based in the U.S. are global leaders in, in terms of developing their people and making sure that they invest, um, you know, in, in, in developing their people and, and being competitive and being productive. And uh, there's lots of uh, great um, uh, stories, antidotes, and, and research that says the multinationals are, in, in the American-based multinationals are doing quite well. Our focus and our interest um, has really been, in the last few years, and all the groups that are left behind. So you're looking at, um, you know, obviously job seekers, people that are unemployed, people that are maybe from uh, new countries, 
uh, older workers that may have uh, been let go in the, in, the, in the recent economic turmoil and are trying to get back in the job market, and then small businesses. And those areas are have been completely neglected by you know, the digital learning industry or the e-learning industry. And if you look at it, um, large companies have teams of people um, to focus on how they can adopt technology to help their people keep pace with the the, the, the blistering uh, change that's going on in the economy and in the way that work is done. Small companies, and certainly somebody who's unemployed, have nobody uh, looking out for them. <laughs> and I think that that's where the real uh, potential danger is, and I think that that's where uh, governments, foundations, uh, corporations, uh, corporate CSR, for example, um, uh, workforce investment boards, I think that that's where they, they have a real uh, opportunity to, to make a difference. Well, let's let's get, talk a little bit more about that. But you work, uh, if, and correct me if I'm wrong. I understand that you are actually separating workforce learning versus K through 12 learning. Although the electronic education, online delivery of education and training programs, is uh, an hugely successful industry sector. As I understand it, it. Uh, its revenue increased from 150 million in 2002 to 400 million in 2011, and so it, it far exceeds uh, the growth of of any other education provider. And falling down and below the curve is are the four-year private small institutions. Uh, but but they're technically not preparing people for or they are preparing people for life and presumably for work, but but they're not skill centered because uh, there's so many skills that change as you were saying, correct? I mean, is that what your industry data is showing you? Yes, no, I I think um, I don't think that they could possibly keep up with with that, and I think uh, I'm of the view that. Um, there's, I mean, that we shouldn't try to be all things uh, um, in, in the various uh, players in the education world. So I think that giving people a foundation is certainly critical, teaching them how to think, um, you know, uh, opening their, their minds in various ways, be it mathematical or the humanities, uh, whatever, whatever focus um, of, of the programs, they should continue to do that. I do think that skills are, are quite a different story, and I think that if the education system tried to be, um, you know, heavily involved in the specific skills, uh, they would really have a hard time keeping up because I think the pace of change is such that people really want to access a lot of that on demand, um, mm -hmm. not only you know, to prepare for a job, but even when they're in a job, they, 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 they're going to want it because even if you get everything you possibly need to go into a job prepared today, within three years, 50% of the skills that people use on the job are different. That, that's, um, you know, human knowledge is doubling now every 13 months. So mm -hmm. I don't think... Remember that in uh, chemistry, the half-life of uranium, I think, the shelf <laughs> life was like... 30 years, so it's like you're sitting there, you're, as a human being, the shelf life of your education is, what, three years now? Yeah, I, I, would, say, I would say. Yeah, <laughs> I would say for sure. Uh, I mean, it's really, uh, so really, it, to me, education has a different role, and I think it's been doing that quite well, and I think the, you know, the pressures that education are under are, you know, they're valid, but they're they're a little bit misleading in the sense that I don't think they can possibly 
um, fix it at the level of you know giving people the today you know the right computer <laughs> skills that that are being used today because they're going to be different in a few years. They're really the most important thing I think education can do is help people to learn how to learn and help people to be well-rounded and help people to think and, and problem-solve and so on. I think when you get into the realm of skills that help you succeed at work, that's an ongoing challenge. I think technology has to be a part of that. I think industry has to be a part of it, and, and they are in, in many cases, um, uh, with you know trying to come up with solutions for their membership. Um, I'll just give you an example of something that's kind of intriguing, and it relates to the skills gap that you you know you mentioned uh, at the beginning of the show. Um, you know, manufacturing in the U.S. has um, lost four million jobs in the last ten years. So that's a full third of all jobs in manufacturing were lost in a, a ten-year period. Um, and so people would automatically think, well, that means that you know there's certainly lots of people that came from that industry that are available and eager to, to get new jobs as they become available. But the funny thing is, or the sad thing is, uh, you know, 67% of all manufacturing executives say they find it hard to find people with the skills that they need. So that just goes to show that even if you had, forget education for a second, if you had direct experience uh, a few years ago in manufacturing and now you're looking for you know, a new manufacturing plant opens up or a factory is growing and needs new people, uh, those skills are already uh, outdated. I mean, they're having problems hiring even though they've let go 4 million people in the last 10 years. So I think that just speaks to the need for on-demand, ongoing access to skills development. And I think that that's a different problem or a different opportunity than where the education system is focused. I agree with you, but uh, I want to just... Please, one second uh, before continuing with that line of conversation. Um, but before I, I say a couple of things about who you are, um, you, uh, you have you heard the expression garbage in, garbage out? Yes, I have, yeah. Uh, it's, you know, we, we use it in computer science and the computer field. You know, bad data in is going to kind of generate bad data coming out. And I think that one of the things that many people who are in the education field as professionals trained in classroom training are are saying and are fearful of that kids today, I mean, that it's getting more and more challenging to really educate uh, our youth to become lifelong learners, that there are so many pressures on on uh you know economic pressures uh, education pressures you you mentioned the the groups that are the populations that are are underserved or or educators have a challenge serving uh, we are a heterogeneous society which makes it more challenging than uh one a society that's homogeneous and everybody has some general shared cultural learning uh models uh so it becomes uh, not just the fact that you expect that, that people graduating, whether they go to college, and I, interestingly enough, uh, these issues are seen in college uh, graduates. So a lot of kids are in colleges who shouldn't be there. They don't want to be there. <laughs> they shouldn't be there, and they're not successful there. Uh, and so it, it's kind of intriguing, uh, you know, when you think about the journey from K through 12 and and what what product is is produced uh, by school systems at these 
these children attend, and then the uh, the different routes to lifelong learning. And one of those routes, of course, is what you're talking about, which is continuous training. Then the question becomes, whose responsibility is it, and how are, are people going to be le learning and applying their learning? So before we go there, my question, one of my questions to you is, um, how did you get here? You are a graduate in engineering, right? And Canada, and uh, you. This is not your. You have a company which is Blue Drop, uh, which you founded in what 1990. Yeah, well, this is a successor. This this company was, was my third company. It was 2004, but it's a successor to some early e-learning work I was doing uh, for the first company I founded in 1992. Was when the original company was founded. So what what drove you? What was the path from and mechanical engineering, if I recall, to learning? Well, um, you know, we we when we started the the first company uh, back in '92, we started actually because I couldn't get a job. Uh, it was it was a I big recession. That that, yeah, <laughs> it was. <laughs> that's a, you know, necessity is the mother of invention, as right, you know. Right, exactly. So, so I no one in my class, which is shocking, because mechanical engineers now are you know, quite in demand. But back then in 1992, it was the height of uh, another recession. And it was actually the first person in my class to get a job with six months out of school, which was just un unheard of today. Um, so it, I we tried to commercialize a class project, and that led us into, uh, we got into software because, you know, in engineering, we, we, we did a lot of uh, software-related development. So we were developing software. And in about 1996, um, we got a chance by accident to work with a French pharmaceutical company to develop um, uh, an online training system for this thing called the World Wide Web back then, which was relatively new, um, mm -hmm. and to help them manage clinical trials uh, and, and train people in that. And from that point, I was hooked, and I didn't realize how early uh, we were uh, to getting into uh, world uh, into uh, web-based learning, but. We went to other pharmaceutical companies immediately and said, you know, we can build you these kinds of solutions. And two or three of them actually back then said, in 1996, said, we're afraid of email. We don't even have email here because we <laughs> we don't know if it's <laughs> going to violate our privacy right. issues or confidential information. So it was really early days. And what I found fascinating, and it certainly it's picked up since then, is, you know, already back then the shift and, in, 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 I mean, I think we're undergoing the biggest change in work since the Industrial Revolution right now. And uh, you can sort of see a pattern of things changing quickly, and you can see a pattern where technology could, you know, could and should uh, make a difference. Um, and if you look at kids today, I just wanted to address, you know, that, that, that comment that you made. I mean, they are very different than, than anybody in past generations. First of all, they they seamlessly go back and forth between, you know, uh, entertainment, learning, and and uh, and uh, and work. They can do all three at the same time. They give priority to the digital uh, uh, connection rather than the you know the the person that's sitting across the desk from them. Um, mm -hmm. So and they're always wired. I mean, the studies are coming out now that are saying you know the average uh, teenager today uh, is spending 12 hours uh, connected somehow online a day, mm -hmm. 10, 12 hours a day. So it's it's completely transforming the way they 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 see the world and the way that they want to access the world, and I don't think that a lot of the people that are in, 
corporate learning, if I can uh, use that as an example, you know, you know, they know they have to go there, but to them it seems like such a big change, whereas these kids just expect that they would get what they need um, online. They don't, they don't necessarily think, you know, this is going to be a new fangled way to to help me upgrade my skills. They just expect that. They they mm-hmm. they'd expect that much more than than sitting in a classroom in, in many cases to learn a, a new skill. So uh, I think that the world is definitely going that direction. There's a little bit of a generational gap between the way that kids today learn and see the world and access the world and the way that all of us in positions of, you know, um, um, helping them or mentoring them or helping them to uh, develop as employees, for example, um, there's a big gap. Um, And, uh, you know, I think that if you look, you know, a few years out, um, that that gap will certainly close. And if you look at the trends, um, uh, you know, e-learning right now, online courses globally, I'm not just talking in the U.S., globally by 2019 they expect half of all classes or courses done anywhere in the world will be done online. I think uh, South Korea, as of this year, uh, they had announced that they were going to go completely uh, digital in their classrooms. Uh, there, re- there are no books anymore um, in South Korean uh, classrooms for kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the world is, is going there, and it's just a matter. It doesn't take much imagination or, or forecasting to kind of see how this is the way the world will be very soon. Mm-hmm. Well, I uh, I agree and I disagree, and it probably is an age difference. But uh, having said that, I refuse mm-hmm. to tell anybody what that is. Um, <laughs> I think, from from the perspective of my perspective, and my perspective is uh, both the CEO's perspective, you know, the people mm-hmm. manager's perspective, as well as the individual learner. And I know there's. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of emphasis on the millennials because those are the people who are the leaders, who are our next generation of managers and leaders. And, and you know, they are, uh, you know, we need to make sure they come into those roles prepared, um, prepared for change, prepared for learning. But having said all of that, what I hear employers complain about it and, and observe is that, Data isn't learning. You can acquire, uh, if you're trained to memorize, you can acquire and memorize a lot of information, but how you uh, apply it, how you work with others, how you, you know, your critical thinking, your problem solving, your uh, your teamwork, your behaviors, these are areas that are, um, you know, they aren't well served by online learning, are they? How do you meld the two and, and how do you, how do you convert data into knowledge and experience? uh, That's a great question. And I I agree with you that the industry, certainly um, in the the first, you know, a decade ago, uh, for sure, um, um, got a black eye in some cases because people would just sort of take, um, you know, uh, they didn't really take advantage of of what the technology allows them to do. I liken it to um, uh, when radio... You know, there's a whole bunch of people, say, working in radio commercials, developing commercials for radio, you know, 50, 60, 70 years ago. And when TV really started taking over, um, the temptation, of course, would have been to take the same radio commercial and just put that on the TV with no no real use of, of the, the, the power of, of, you know, the, 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 uh, the, the, the 
the live the video, yeah. Yeah, video aspects of it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So that's kind of what happened initially in, in, in online learning. But right now, um, and you'll see it actually in a lot of the college uh, courses that are offered. I mean, it's just essentially, you know, grabbing content and data, like you said, and putting it out there. But in the corporate world, uh, and this is where, again, I think there's a, a massive digital learning divide because this is too expensive unless a workforce board or a government takes it on on behalf of their you know, their their workforce um, as as a mission, it's too expensive for small businesses, for example, to develop the same kinds of high production value e-learning that a large company does. So when we used to do a lot of work in the in the in the Fortune 500 world, and you would get, for example, um, a lot of scenario-based learning. You'd get collaborative learning where people can engage with each other. You would get simulation in some cases. Uh, where you actually get a chance to apply the knowledge. Um, if you're just reading it and, you know, sort of having it preached at you, that's a different uh, level of learning. I mean, I'm not saying that, that, that that's not without merit, but I agree with you that um, if you're really going to leverage the media, it needs to be interactive. It needs to put people in situations where they can actually think through what they would think through and do in a real-life situation. Mm-hmm. And that's certainly accessible right now if people are willing to, uh, if people have the budgets to do it. And, um, uh, you know, we've seen some very, very effective online learning, which actually increases knowledge retention by 25 to 60% in some studies. Um, The other benefit of online learning in terms of knowledge retention is that, you know, if you talk, for example, about a classroom situation where, you know, there's a lecturer and and they're teaching, if you doze out for one second or you know, you miss a piece of content. You've lost that forever. I mean, in theory, you're supposed to go back to the notes or the big binder you get at the end of a Or course. if you're like I am, where you can't understand your handwriting when you're through writing these notes. Go ahead. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So, so you know, in essence, I mean, the the statistics are that, you know, within three weeks, people forget about 85% of what they've heard in a, in a, in a, in a classroom setting. So the other thing is that you can't really go back to it because the way that you're supposed to go back to it is either your notes if you if you weren't uh, out or thinking of a problem uh, or some big manual that you get at the end of a conference which no one, you know, it's really just a waste of trees for most for the most part. So mm-hmm. um so the benefit of online learning is that if it's done well it can get you to be in that situation, think through those problems and challenges and also it's available on demand. So you know, when companies, for example, roll out new systems and they say, okay, we're going to bring everybody in to train them on, you know, this new pro- product, you'll get, you know, you'll get what you need to learn to kind of log in and do the basics. But once they start showing you, you know, weird things that won't happen for two to three months, there's just no way you're going to remember that when you need to recall it. Exactly. Where if it was done online, you still have access to it on demand. And I think that that's really the power that, um, that can differentiate it. At the same time, I have to agree with you. We're not zealots uh, by any stretch uh, of mm-hmm. the imagination uh, for online learning. We're, we're, uh, we're, you know, we think that there's certain situations that it just won't work. And right. um, yeah, and right. you know, the trick is to find the right balance. Yeah. Well, I I appreciate that the uh, honesty and the directness and the openness that, that you. Now you're expressing in in defining what learning is and how you measure success of learning. Uh, before we come into the couple of final minutes, unfortunately we're running out of time, I wanted to thank uh, 
Infuse International, who is one of our program sponsors. And I wanted to mention them uh, not only because they're uh, program sponsors, but they are working with a lot of international companies uh, in helping them expand their global reach. And we just actually interviewed somebody uh, recently who is with a large company, and he's head of global technology. and one of the you know where one of the areas where I see a huge growth in demand and need for learning on demand, if you will, is in this whole global marketplace. There is so much happening and new that to your point earlier, there is no way if I tell you that uh today that here is the strategy for international policy development that's going to affect your manufacturing decisions in a foreign country in six months, you're going to remember that. (laughs) I mean, I finally remember what I just said to you, but it's, um, but to be able to to be able to access this, here's the question that that I think is, uh, that is probably most important to our show at this point in time. And that is learning for entrepreneurs and economic growth. Uh, uh, and and obviously to uh, have employees have the skills that help drive that entrepreneur business mm-hmm. development. You're an entrepreneur. I'm an entrepreneur. You know, you know how important it is to find people who have the knowledge and the skills to help you uh, get your work done. So what is uh, what are you doing? Uh, what are you seeing in packaging learning for those small businesses? What are the greatest needs and the gaps that online learning is filling. Well, that's a, it's a great question. And we we've we've been we've worked actually with um several governments to tackle this very issue because I think there's a powerful role. I mean, you mentioned uh, your 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 sponsor. I think where the the greatest value that people who really understand this area of, for example, exporting and and supporting small businesses and mentoring them is in the area of mentoring and coaching. And ideally, the, the, the on-demand learning, for example, you know, what are the, you know, what are the sort of logistical issues with exporting, or what are the opportunities in various markets, or, you know, what's the process of doing business with the federal government? That's really uh, well done through online learning. What, what's really of most benefit when you're dealing with experts is that they mentor you and coach you in your specific issues, not give you the, the knowledge that you can learn. Um, uh, you know, very well uh, on demand in some cases. So it allows people to go up to their highest level of value, not sort of imparting the basics. But when we work with governments and and even workforce investment boards, which are traditionally focused on, uh, you know, the job seekers, they understand that they're really they really have to add value to uh, small businesses. I mean, they're really in partnership with them to create these opportunities for the people they train. So the areas that small businesses are are sort of uh, really struggling with we find is uh, financial literacy uh, for for running a business so you know you get into situations where cash flow management understanding what banks want different sources of capital um, uh, reading a balance sheet Uh, there's a lot of pain in small businesses in these areas and sometimes it's fatal pain if they don't uh, if they get into trouble Mm -hmm. so we're finding a lot of focus on that we're finding uh, focus obviously as you mentioned on exporting and helping small businesses to get to the next level Um, and so there's very specific content that they need and then they also need mentoring and coaching uh, which is a separate thing Um, Mm -hmm. uh, entering global supply chains huge issue huge opportunity Uh, they, Mm -hmm. they need that 
And then if you look, the last area is, uh, in a lot of cases, you know, small businesses, sort of the elephant in the room in the training industry is that small businesses really don't do an awful lot of training for their people. And they mm-hmm. need help. It's not because they don't want to. Most of, most of, you know, most of them uh, will say that I really believe in it, but they just don't know where to start. And, and how do you get mm-hmm. a program set up that actually adds value to the employee? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there's a big focus on that. And we have, again, governments involved in introducing people uh, to these areas. I don't believe mm-hmm. that governments are, or workforce investment boards or whoever are going to you know, be doing this forever. We're not saying that training should be free for small businesses forever. But but we are saying, and we have seen, that you need to bring them in and give mm-hmm. them the same level of access to support, uh, onboarding, um, making it easy for them, you know, in a, in a, in a, in a good platform, which I think we, we have a very unique one globally, uh, so that they can they can they can do that. And then afterwards, most of the stuff isn't expensive. I think once they get their once they get it together and, and they they've they've implemented it successfully, small businesses have no issues to come back and keep paying for it and investing in their people. The challenge is just that where to get started, how to how do you get going? Right, right. Well there is um there is a lot going on in in the world of small business and small business government, community college partnerships, uh where, you know, employers are saying here's where our skill needs are and they're they're developing these courses, et cetera. But I am reminded uh, as as we wrap up here for now I am reminded of a a comment that uh, President Emeritus Al Merton made when he had started his tenure at a university in Virginia, and he was talking about employers, uh, and and you had mentioned earlier, they're saying they're not able to find people that have the skills. And and Dr. Merton's uh, comment was in this speech is that that's because the employers, A, don't want to develop the skills. They want skills when they want them, how they want them. And so it raises a question, whose responsibility is it to train people in the skills that are needed for organizational growth? And are we seeing more employers of all sizes uh, putting the demand for training onto the taxpayer uh, when they should be, in some cases, Developing uh, and and developing training opportunities internally uh, for their employees to adjust to these market conditions. Uh, is that a fair statement? That's no. That's a great question. I I I do think first of all as a as a whole. I mean, just to compare Canada and the U.S., the the average U.S. business spends about twelve hundred dollars a year training uh, each employee. The average Canadian business is only six thirty eight or something. It's a thirty eight percent. Uh, differential. So certainly, well, U.S. businesses are more keen uh, uh, on investing in their employee development. I think the mm-hmm. challenge for small business isn't one of money. So when we talk about taxpayers, um, you know, this is really—I mean, there's certainly billions of dollars being spent right now t- for workforce development, which I think is most people certainly. I hope the vast majority of people would agree that that's necessary. These, these help uh, people find work and help small businesses to be more productive and more competitive. Uh, so mm-hmm. the ROI um, is certainly there. But I, I think the challenge for small businesses, and I think this is the role for governments, isn't so much you know they need to have every dollar that they spend on empl- employee training uh, paid for. Even if it does, and there's tons of data that says it does, 
benefit the economy overall. I don't think right. that that's the issue. Uh, I think the issue is they need somebody to give them the same access to the same kinds of services and professional um, uh, tools and implementation that large businesses have teams of people to think about. It's more of a. It's not. It's not even a money issue. It's more of a logistics issue, and unless they're brought in and helped to adopt these technologies, I think it's quite a struggle because they've got a lot of priorities on their plate, and this is, uh, you know, this is pretty foreign to them. And I think the best example, sort of, of what we believe is embodied with um, with what Apple did when Steve Jobs, you know, told people he was going to create iTunes. People thought he was crazy because they said, why would people pay 99 cents to get music that they're downloading for free? I remember that. Yes, exactly. Right. And he said, it's not an issue of money. It's an issue that the the customer, the end users, just don't like the way that they access this content now. They don't, the the record companies aren't giving them what they need and and it it doesn't work for them. And he said, if you give them what they want, they'll pay for it. And I think that that's kind of the role of government to create that environment give them what they want, show them how it could be a benefit. And then once they, they get it, then I think small businesses, and, and we've proven that, we have four Canadian provinces and various projects in the U.S. and, and Europe, and we've proven that once you get the, the ball rolling, they will uh, step up and and uh, continue to invest uh, their challenges. They just don't know where to start. Mm-hmm. We have been listening to Imad Riskella, who is the founder, president, CEO of an online learning company, Blue Drop, and they are a Canadian company who's doing a lot of work in the United States, Canada, and globally, so it gives them a unique perspective on where learning is most critical to um, expand our, our global economy. Hey, Matt, I appreciate your, your being with us today, and we look forward to having more conversations with you. And, uh, and have a, a successful year, and help us all learn. We all need more education, although well, sometimes my brain seems to like stretch to the end, but who knows? <laughs> maybe, maybe there's still some elasticity in that as well. Thank yeah. uh, no, so sure you. <laughs> you folks have been listening to The Workforce Show. I'm your host, Cindy Gern. And thank you, and join us again 